Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Today I want to talk to you and just share a little bit and encourage you concerning the principle of the attitude of servanthood. You've often heard it said that your your attitude determines your altitude. And, uh, you know, to actually understand where that comes from, I want to show you a picture. What I'm about to show you is called an attitude indicator. Uh, I don't know if that's maxed on your screen or not. But you'll see a little screen there where it says where you see a little dial and actually this is what's called an alt an attitude indicator and it's it's something that you'll find in an airplane and it tells you the attitude of the aircraft so if you i don't know if you can see my mouse moving on this maybe i should do it like this then you could probably see my mouse you have these orange lines here which are horizontal lines which show your orientation in relation to the um uh, what's it called uh, the horizon so obviously if you turn or bank left this side will go up that side will drop down if you turn or bank right this side will go up and that will go down and that shows you going left or right but also this white line if that is in line with those orange lines it will show you that you are flying horizontal to the uh, horizon you are not ascending or descending and but however if you tilt the nose down then this line, this white line will go and you'll be able to see on this attitude meter whether or not you are ascending or descending. Let me read you the official definition. And the attitude indicator is one of the six basic flight instruments found in any cockpit. At a glance, it gives the pilot a clear picture of the aircraft's relative position to the Earth's horizon. With one simple dial, the pilot can see whether the plane is climbing, banking or descending. Now, our attitude uh, in life makes a heck of a difference. It will determine whether we are going up or going down, whether we are growing in wisdom, knowledge, maturity, or whether we are descending into habits and character traits and thought patterns that actually keep us on a downward spiral and a downward trajectory. When we start looking at Scripture, when we start looking at the ethos of the kingdom of God and specifically the life of Jesus and the things that Jesus says, he brings into front and center the principle of servanthood and our attitude in servanthood as some kind of altitude uh, or attitude um, indicator. Our willingness to serve, our willingness to lay our lives down to serve and help the needs of others will tell us whether or not we are going up in the kingdom of God. In other words, go, growing in maturity and growing in Christ-likeness, or whether we are descending again into self-centeredness. And we need to understand that these two are polar opposites. Immaturity, the mark of immaturity, is selfishness. That's why any child, when they are young, uh, I forget, there was something I read once that was so funny, the rules of a toddler. 
if you're holding it, it's mine. If I'm holding it, it's mine. If I see it first, it's mine. If, uh, if it was mine and I let you borrow it and I want it back, it's mine. It, it, it's mine. If mom has it, it's mine in the outside. It's mine inside. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> and that's kind of the way toddlers think. It's all about self. What can I get out of this? And we, we, let's be honest, if we look at the world around us, if we look at the ethos of the world, everyone's looking after number one, self-interest. And what ends up happening is we descend into immaturity and self-centeredness, which is the antithesis of the kingdom of God. But if we grow in maturity and Christ-likeness, we will find that we become more and more concerned with the needs of others than with our own needs. Jesus said some interesting things. Matthew 23, verse 11 and 12 said, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so the attitude that seeks self-promotion ends up in a downward trajectory. But yet the attitude of one who seeks to get underneath and to serve is on an upward trajectory in the kingdom of God. In our worldview, or in the worldview we are, we find ourselves in, we are led to believe that greater position and greater status leads to greater influence. This is not true. And Jesus taught us that. Influence is, is derived through service. And the more people we are able to serve, the greater influence we can have in their lives, especially kingdom influence. Again, Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man, God himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. In other words, lay his life down as a ransom for many. Now, as believers, Christ is always going to be our example for life. And the only way that your life and my life is ever going to glorify God is by taking on the same mantle that Jesus took on and carried and walked in. John 17, 4, Jesus, Jesus, towards the end of his life. Now, let's, under, let's just put this in perspective. This is before the cross. This is before uh, Gethsemane. This is before the Last Supper. He's praying and he says to the Father, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. <laughs> Jesus had glorified God in the earth finished the work that God had called him to do, and that before he had gone to the cross. When we look at the life of Jesus, we, we can all agree that Jesus had a unique role to play, and that his life and purpose was shaped primarily by three things. Number one, it was shaped by who he was. The Son of God, God incarnate, stripped of glory, come down in the flesh, who he was, the Son of God, beloved of God. And he knew who he was. Number two, it was shaped by the setting that he found himself in. Jesus was born in a particular time in a, and, and specifically chosen, a particular time prophetically, a particular time politically, a particular time demographically, uh, a particular time in, in, in linear timelines, in a particular setting, it was all very purposeful. He was born as a man in a certain age, and he was, was born, and his life and his testimony 
turned the tables on so many cultural expectations and practices just through the way he lived his life. And the third aspect uh, that 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 shaped his purpose and destiny was the people that he was in, that he encountered and the people that he was sent to serve. Unique individuals, so vast and varied and different, and he had a unique way of blessing and serving each of them. These three aspects shape the purpose and the outcome of Jesus' existence here on earth. And Jesus, you see, was not just fixated upon the cross. It wasn't just that he was born and kind of lived his life in anonymity until, you know, one day he had to die. It wasn't just about the cross. The cross was simply the culmination of his life purpose. It was everything that had worked together to that one point. But there was so much more to his life than just that one moment. And I want to say to you today that you and I, too, will discover, excuse me, our own God-given purpose and destiny as we consider, as Jesus did, number one, who we are in Christ Jesus. Your purpose and your destiny will not be discovered out of a deep and sincere revelation of who it is that Christ has made you to be, that you are an ambassador, that you are created for good works in Christ Jesus. That you and I are loved deeply and valued. That we are forgiven. That our shame has been taken away. That we are empowered by the word of God and through association with Jesus Christ. And through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. To live a life, that, that Jesus, the kind of life that Jesus lived. Overcoming sin, overcoming death and walking in victory and authority. Because this is who we are. It's not something we have to pretend or fake. It's not something we have to feel. But the deeper that revelation becomes in our hearts and lives, the more it will shape our outlook and our perspective and ultimately our attitude, the very trajectory of our lives. Number two, you and I will discover our God-given purpose and destiny when we consider the setting God has placed us in. You know, when I think of my musical taste, I think I was born 30, 40 years too late. When I think, you know, when we think culturally, we think of back of different times and you were born for a unique time and for a unique purpose. There is something in the place where you find yourself geographically. There is something about the place in, that you find yourself in terms of your workspace, in terms of your church connection and environment, in terms of your family. That is all uniquely handpicked by God and unique to you. No one else has the influence that you do in the lives that are around you. And number three, we also discover our God-given purpose and destiny as we consider the people that we encounter every day and that we are sent to serve. Unique people in a unique time, in a unique cultural setting, geographical, political situation that, that has never existed before. But yet God deemed for, that it would be right for you to be born in this time and season and in that setting. Now, apart from Jesus' life alone, Scripture is awash, awash with, the, with examples of people who discovered their purpose, unlocked their destiny, simply by serving the people they encountered in the setting they were in. I think one of, for me, one of the best examples of this is Joseph. Joseph was first and foremost a servant at heart. We know that he was his father's favorite child. Why? Why was he his father's favorite? He wasn't the youngest. Uh, he, he wasn't necessarily the most gifted. 
What made him stand out above all his brothers? Well, we, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but if we look at the rest of his life, at the pattern, and we bring it back, we can see something that no matter where Joseph was, Joseph served faithfully. It therefore stands to reason that that is why he was his father's favorite and got this wonderful coat. He served his brothers. He used to take the meals out in the field. He used to do what he needed to do for his brothers. We know that they were jealous of him. They sold him off into slavery, and he ended up being a servant in Potiphar's house. And he served with such enthusiasm and such excellence that he became the head of Potiphar's house. And then, of course, things happened with Potiphar's wife, and then he ended up being thrown in jail. And the Bible tells us that even in jail, he was so faithful, he, took, he served with such a heart that the keeper of the jail gave him charge over the jail. Again, when it came time for Joseph to be remembered before Pharaoh, he served not only Pharaoh, but God and the nation and even the people of Israel without even realizing it. And we see that God used this man and blessed him in whatever setting he was in. For me, I think just the story of Joseph, as we zoom out, just the ripple effect that this man's life had. I want you to think about this for a moment. God makes a covenant with, with a group of, with Abraham, and he says that this land is going to be yours. He ends up that his great-great-grandson gets, so his great-grandson gets sold off into slavery, ends up in Egypt. So that and gives him a dream, gives him tremendous influence over what is probably the most powerful nation in the world at that time. Through through a dream, gets him to make provision, not just for Egypt, but for all the countries around this drought coming. And little be known to him, his brothers will eventually come. The nation of Israel will come to him to be saved from the famine that affected and afflicted many. They were then settled in Egypt, and the Bible tells us that in Egypt, they prospered and they multiplied, and the, the nation was being blessed so much so that the Egyptians became jealous and therefore started persecuting them. And that's why Israel, Israel went into captivity, and God raised up Moses, and eventually, through the plagues and all of that, the Israelites left. Now let's just think about this for a second. Under Joseph's rule, people came from all over the world to buy grain, to buy food with gold, with silver, with whatever they could to trade, to buy their food. On the day that the Israelites left and departed Egypt, the Bible says that the, the people of Egypt gave them gold. They gave them whatever they wanted. They said, just leave here, take our stuff and go. And so they left through the Red Sea with wealth and with riches to establish a new life on the other side, all of which came through the faithful servanthood of the man, Joseph. Isn't that incredible? The ripple effect of a life of servanthood just seems to go on and on and on. Now, the principle of the servant of servanthood travels with us into the New Testament and actually becomes the means through which God desires to bring his kingdom into this world. One example Jesus gave. Matthew 5.41. We say today that yeah, means going the extra mile. It means doing more than what, is, more than what is necessary. David Guzik, in his commentary on this verse, says this. Positively, 
we are told to take command of evil imposition by making a deliberate choice to give more than we are required. The Roman military occupation. Under military law, any Roman soldier might command a Jew to carry his soldier's pack for only one mile. Jesus here says, go be give another mile out of a free choice of love. This is how we transform us into a free act of love. I just brilliant and powerful. There is a kind of person that and that is the one who is willing to serve. And I really want to place emphasis today on the word willing. Willing. Willing to serve. You see, a heart that has the capacity to bring the influence of God's kingdom into this world. I want to pause for a moment because it seems like we're having some connection issues. Are you guys doing okay there? Are you all still hearing and seeing me okay? Michael, we just keep losing you. It seems like my camera's gone beginning. Same here, Michael. Okay, hold on. Sorry. Let's try something different. Hopefully, just a slight repositioning will give a better a better connection. Are you, you got me back? All right. We've got you. All right. So I wanted I want us to delve um, delve into a story from the Old Testament that for me really articulates and epitomizes servanthood. And if you want to turn there in your own Bibles, I encourage you to do so. Genesis chapter 24. And I'm going to read from verse 10 to 21. So it's a fair chunk of scripture. Genesis 24, verse 10 to 21. And I'll give you the context here. Abraham wants a wife for his son Isaac. And so he says he, he's going to send his servant, excuse me, on an errand to go and find a wife for his son. That's a fearful job. But if we pick up Genesis 24 from verse 10, we catch the story of how the servant went about looking for a wife for his master's son. From verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed for his, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time. The time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master, Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master, Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water. And the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your son Isaac. 
And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So he kind of puts a test in place here. And then we see verse 15. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, and the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her, and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. So let's just pause there for a moment. When you call somebody your Lord, you are positioning yourself as their servant. You are saying, I'm here to meet your needs. I'm here to do what you say. So, I mean, we can understand culturally an older man coming in and asking for this. That, I mean, it's, it's respectful. Yes, drink, my Lord, she said. Then she quickly, quickly let down her pitcher down into her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had given him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. He didn't ask for it. This came from her. And then she quickly, and we have that word again, quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. So we're not seeing some begrudging obligation here. We are seeing a woman enthusiastically, quickly putting her heart and soul into it. Anybody who's ever had to manage a team of people, anybody who's ever had to be a, you know, an employer in some kind of thing, you want somebody who gets on with the job. You're paying them by the hour. Now this, is not, she's not even being paid. She has no idea there's incentive built into all of this. She doesn't know what's going on. But what she is showing is her true colors. You know, when we serve and when God calls us to serve people, I don't believe he expects us to do it in some kind of way that, oh, they should be so grateful for our time and just do it as some kind of begrudging obligation. This girl goes all out. Not only does she quickly give him water, she doesn't then waste her time with the camels. She's running up and down. She's getting it done. And she doesn't just sort of put some water in for the camels. She waters all his camels. And folks, Camels can drink a lot. So this woman was busy serving these people. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. He remained silent. You know what that tells me? The guy's not saying thank you. Wow, you're doing such a great job. Wow, what a great honor. I'm so grateful for what he's just standing there watching her do it. And there's no instance that she's sort of going, you know, excuse me, the least you could do is say thank you. You know, I'm putting in all this effort. There's just none of that. For me, there's something that God saw in the heart of this woman when he orchestrated this whole thing. And there was something that he led the servant to look for. And that was that this woman was willing to serve enthusiastically. She ran. She did things quickly. She didn't have to, but she did. She had no idea that there was anything for her to gain in this situation. And I think for, for me, what I love about this is if I put myself in that position, is to just get into the mindset of saying, God, am I serving those around me? 
with, with as much gusto and enthusiasm as this woman, even when there's nothing to gain for me. Not because of what they can do for me, but because of who I am and because of who my God is. You see, what servanthood is, it's an act and an attitude that attributes value and worth to others. When I serve you, I am saying you are important. What you are invested in is important and it carries value. And it carries so much value that I'm not only able to say, hey, that's a great thing of great value, but I am in willing to, I'm willing to invest myself into this thing because I attribute so much worth to it. I'm willing to give it my time, my resources, my energy, my expertise, not for my gain, but for yours, because you matter, you are important, you have value and what you're doing matters and it's important and it carries value. That's what we communicate when we begin to serve people. When Jesus came and served you and I with his life and his death and his resurrection, what he was saying is you and I matter. We are important to God. So important that Jesus was willing to come into time. One who was not subject to it became subject to it so that you and I could know the value that God has placed on us. Every one of us has the capacity to serve this way if we are simply willing to get over ourselves. Folks, our problem is not the enemy. Our problem is not the world around us. It's not all the excuses. We our problem is ourselves. You see, you don't have to have a title or a position to serve. In fact, truth be told, having those things actually makes it more difficult to serve sometimes. You don't need money to serve. You don't need to be eloquent to serve. But there are some things that you do need in order to serve well, to serve in a way that glorifies Jesus. And I want to give you five of those things today. There are five things that we need that really are a hallmark of those who serve in, in a way that brings glory to God. And number one is this. If we want to serve in a way that glorifies God, we're going to need to serve with sincere love. You see, service is the language of love. Service is an expression of love. John 5.13, Jesus said, Greater love has no man or no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. To lay down his life. In other words, to put my life at someone else's disposal. Think about that. That's radical. Especially in the day and age we are living in. Jesus put his life at our disposal. And we ended up crucifying him for it. But yet... He is the God who takes that act and turns it into the most glorious victory the world has ever known. And he will do the same through your life and mine when we become willing to put our lives at the disposal of others to serve their needs. Servanthood without sincere care and without love for the one that we are serving will always end up being self-serving. If I'm not doing it for your benefit, then what I'm doing is I'm trying to manipulate a situation or I'm doing it so that I can gain favor for me, for my promotion, for my betterment. If my sole 
purpose is not to love and to bless and serve you and what God has called you to do and who God has called you to be. And this, then, 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 it's, then it's perverted and the whole thing doesn't work. It all falls apart. It becomes a mani manipulative thing. And we see this with, with marriages. We see this with work relationships all over the place. But when there is sincere care, something beautiful and precious happens. I mean, we can look at this in various settings. Let's just look at marriage, for example. What does God say to husbands? Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does it mean? In other words, what God is saying is, put her needs first. And just a few verses earlier, Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. In other words, put his needs first. We've gotten this whole submission and headship thing all wound up into some kind of knot because we just misunderstood this whole thing completely. God is saying the same thing to both parties. He's just using cultural language to break down mindsets and strongholds in the, in the context that he is in. But really what he says to you husbands and he says to you wives, put the needs of your partner first. Serve them. Lift them up. What about in the workplace? You know, if you're not serving your boss or your company for the sole, for the primary purpose of helping them succeed, you're serving yourself. It's about your paycheck, about your career, about your promotion, about your reputation. Then it's jaded. Then, then it's self-serving. And this is so much of what we see. People in the workplace today, as soon as things aren't going their way, they didn't get the promotion they thought they deserved. As soon as they thought they deserved it, another offer comes in that's better. There's no loyalty to someone. There's no loyalty to a cause. The only loyalty is to self. And they'll bail at the first opportunity. Let me ask you something. To what degree are you willing to take a hit maybe in your paycheck? To be overlooked in your for, for promotion and your career in order to bless and to serve somebody else and their agenda? To what point are you able to say, you know what, boss? This guy deserves a promotion. This person deserves the position more than I do. Hey, that guy deserves a raise. But then we can't give you a raise. I realize that. But this guy needs it. To serve and to bless somebody else. Colossians 3.22 says this. Servants, and let me just make this clear. If you are taking a paycheck, you're a servant. <laughs> That's just what it is. You're serving a person. You're serving a company. That's what your paycheck means. They're paying you simply for your service and expertise. Servants in everything, obey those who are your masters on earth, not only with external service or lip service, as those who merely please people, but with sincerity of heart because of your fear of the Lord. In other words, serve them with love, sincerely care for them, sincerely care for their business, as if you were serving the Lord. I mean, even in your, in, in our in our spiritual or church environment, you know, we're not a physical church building here. But this is not a spiritual restaurant where we just come to get fed and, you know, uh, and if we don't like the meal, we send it back. Sorry, Pastor, that wasn't a great, that really wasn't your best message, you know. We send it back. You know, the primary reason we gather together like this is to learn to serve. It's in the rubbing up against one another. It's in the meeting of one another's needs. Now, the difficulty is we're all far apart. But hey, 
We can serve each other through generosity. We can serve each other through prayer, through giving up our time to pray for the other members of our spiritual family and to meet the needs that we are aware of. The whole, the whole idea is about, it's about putting the things of God and the things that are dear to the heart of God before our own agendas. That's the essence of what I'm talking about here. And we can do this at school or university, in a friendship group, in a family situation, in a community setting. This is the one attribute that will truly make us stand out from the crowd, that will make us different from the world around us and will bring glory to Jesus. All right. Another thing that we will need in order to serve well and to bring honor in a way that brings honor to Jesus is a genuine heart of humility. We're going to need to love, and that love will lead us to have to lay down our, our lives in such a way that will require a great level of humility. Philippians 2, 3-4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You see, servanthood, if done sincerely and without seeking credit or glory, is one of the greatest antidotes to our pride. <laughs> and we can see very quickly in our, in our actions and what we do as and after we have served, whether or not we're still trying to draw attention to ourselves in so doing. And we can begin to deal with our pride and dismantle it. Because the very next verses from that portion of scripture go on to say this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2 from verse 5. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal to God. In other words, did not consider equality with God as something to be held on to or, or, or to cling to. But made himself of no reputation. God did not make him of no reputation. Jesus willingly made himself of no reputation, no title, no power, no glory, no nothing. And taking the form of a bond servant, an owned servant, coming in the likeness of men, the creator coming in the likeness of creation, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself even to his creation and became obedient to the point of death. And not just death, the death on the cross. We see a constant humbling and humbling and humbling and lower and lower and lower. And as a result, I won't get into it now, but the next verse says, Therefore God has exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. In other words, as God saw to it, that as Jesus in his sincere love and care, and genuine humility was exalted. And this is how he works. If Jesus had tried to exalt himself, when Satan came to him and said, jump off the, the top of the temple and I will arrange for the angel and, and your angels will catch you and everybody will know and you will be exalted and praised. That would have been it for him. He would have gotten his exaltation then and there and that would have been it. But Jesus didn't succumb to that temptation. And you and I, when we set out to truly serve God's way in genuine humility, will face temptation to draw attention to ourselves. But we need to work beyond that and, and subvert that 
because otherwise God doesn't get the glory. We do. So we've spoken about needing genuine love. We've spoken about the requirement for humility to serve in a way that is pleasing and glorifies God. Number three, we have to serve with willingness. Willingness. We cannot serve as a begrudging obligation and think that God will accept our service as, as acceptable or, or as, as worthy. You, and, and the truth is this, folks. Here is where we struggle. Here's where, okay, we can kind of relate to that. Sure, fine. Here's where it becomes challenging for you and I. You can't enthusiastically serve someone that you resent or that you are envious of or jealous of. If you resent your boss, you're not going to be able to willingly serve him. You resent your government. You resent your spouse. You've got unforgiveness in your heart. You've got undealt issues in your heart. You're not going to be able to serve them willingly. And so forgiveness and mercy and grace must be allowed to work in our hearts for us to do this in a way that is right, that is honoring, that truly and sincerely desires the best in the other out of sincere love and care. Not just because God said I must do it, but because I've inculcated that heart of Jesus that wants to bless and serve this person. You see, we need to remember that God deeply loves those who don't deserve it. And you and I are proof of that. And he calls us to do the same. Fourthly, to serve in a way that glorifies and blesses God requires generosity. Serving others is costly. It will cost you your time, your convenience, your money. It will cost you your own agendas. You are going to have to lay some things down and set some things aside so that you can set the needs of others before and above your own. The question is, are we willing to pay that price gladly, generously, not just going the one mile, but going the extra mile, not just filling up the water carafes and doing the job, but doing it with speed, with enthusiasm, with vim and with vigor with a generous heart. And finally, and I'm going to close on this point, if we want to serve God in a way that is fitting for Him, we need to do so with a missional mindset. A missional mindset. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that we are serving, knowing, and being deliberate that as we serve, the kingdom of God has opportunity to be brought to bear in this situation because we are there. If you look at, the, at Joseph's life, everywhere he went was blessed because he was there. If you look at Jesus' life, everyone who encountered him was blessed. Well, except the Pharisees, of course, and those who wouldn't receive him. But those who would receive him were blessed. And the kingdom of God found entrance and could influence that situation. Because the people involved had a missional mindset. In other words, they weren't in it for their own gain only. They weren't only in it for themselves. But they were deliberate about bringing the influence of the kingdom of God as an ambassador would into that situation. It was all about God's love. It becomes all about sharing his love, his kingdom, his power with those around us. And so when we serve, we don't just do so, you know, there's purpose behind it. And the purpose is the love and the kingdom of God. Colossians 3, 23 
says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so my hope is that what I've shared with you today would cause you to stop and think. Because in our busyness, and listen, we're all busy. Some of us to greater degrees than others, but everyone would say life is busy. Whether it's full of distractions or full of menial tasks or full of important things that need to be done. We are so caught up so often in our own agendas and the things that need to be done. And they're important and they are urgent. But I believe sometimes God just wants us to stop and lift our heads and be willing to look around us at the needs that others may have. Now That may need, mean we need to set some of our things aside. That may mean it's going to take us longer to get done what we wanted to get done. It's going to take us more time to achieve the goals that we'd set out for ourselves because we're now diverting our attention. But if we truly have a missional mindset of love and sincere care for those around us, that will be expressed in our willingness to lay down our own agendas, our own things that are so important, and to stop and to say, can I help you with that? Can I serve you here? Can I help make your situation that you've been telling me about that's so difficult better? What can I do to help you where you are at and with what it is that you are struggling with? Maybe that starts in prayer. Father, I want to start praying for this person because, man, they're going through a rough time. And as you talk to God, he will show you ways that you're able to serve that person, how you're able to help them succeed, how you're able to, to show his love for them and his care and his kindness. You see, when people go through difficult things, one of the questions they're so often asked is, where is God in all of this? You know, how could God let this happen? Why is it that good, bad things happen to good people? And we know as believers that God is right there in the middle of those things. But sometimes we're so caught up in them, we can't recognize his voice. We don't see his gentle, loving kindness coming to us until it comes in the form of a person that throws their arms around us and says, Amen, I love you. And God loves you. And how can I help you? What can I do to support you? Can I bring you a meal? Can I, can I take care of this administrative headache for you? Can I come mow your lawn? Can I come just do something to show you that, hey, God sees what you're going through. And he sent me to minister to your needs. Those kinds of things are incredibly powerful. And I want to say to you, perhaps even more so in the lives of those who have no idea what God is like. I think we often limit this to our brethren. But what about those who are on the outside, who would be introduced to the love and the nature of God through this kind of simple acts of love and kindness? Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And he commissions us in that very same ministry to go and do the same. And so, you know, as we round out the meeting, we're going to have a short time of prayer. But maybe I want to encourage you that once we close the meeting and you've switched off your screen, you've closed your laptop. I encourage you, don't rush off into your day. Don't rush off into your evening. 
spend a couple of minutes in the presence of the Lord and say, Father, where is there a need that has my name on it? What is an area that you are calling me to serve that I've been too busy to recognize? And allow the Lord to begin speaking to you and guiding you through to acts of care and love that can make a difference in somebody else's life. This is just one of the simple ways that the kingdom of God is brought to bear in and through you and I. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.